What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Welcome, everybody. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. I'm so delighted to be joined here today by Mike Micucci, Chief Operating Officer at Automation Anywhere. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Delighted to have you. And I'm feeling very grateful because Dan Streetman, who has been a Breakline champion for many years, was the one who introduced us. So I love these ripple effects and intersections with people in our in our networks and communities. Because Dan's been a great friend, an inspiration. Mm -hmm. And you and Dan met, I think, at Salesforce. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that. But maybe you can actually start by walking us through your career to date. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, well, I'm feeling quite old. Let's put it that way. I've been uh, in the industry for many decades now. And I'll kind of just get it, paint you a picture. I started my career pre-internet days, which is almost for your listeners. I don't know if that even exists. I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and I got an internship at Hewlett Packard. And that was way back in the day. And I was working on their internal enterprise applications. That was before SAP and all the stuff. And so my job was basically helping code in COBOL. And I helped build like accounting systems. And I worked there for many years. And that was when the original founders of HP were still involved, Bill mm. Hewlett, Dave Packard. Learned a ton at that company. And then the internet happened. And I'm like, I got to do this. And I went to a startup company. And it was for e-commerce. We got acquired by Netscape around 96, 97. I can't remember exactly when. And you know, it was just a rocket ship. From there, worked in Netscape for a while. Joined another startup. Also an e-commerce, but B2B side, we took the company public, which was super fun. Worked there for about four years and then went to a couple startups here and there. thought, well, you know, I can do it these last two and off we go. And from the startups, I kind of took a step back and decided to, we can talk about it later, but you know, decided to start my own company in mm -hmm. 2005 with a couple of folks I'd met along the way and Around 2009, got acquired by Salesforce and super interesting. It was pretty funny. So my co-founder and I, one of my co-founders is Swedish. He's a CTO. So our engineering team is based in Stockholm and everything else is based in San Francisco. Salesforce comes along, fit really well. They needed help building what they called the Corporate Social Network, CSN. It's a Skunk Works project. It turned out to be a company called Salesforce Chatter. And that was along the lines of what we were doing. They had an office in Stockholm about a half mile from our office, and they had an office obviously in San Francisco about a half mile. We threw away all of our junk in our office, moved our laptops over, and picked up and started working on Salesforce, and we're there about, I was there about 11 years. Did a ton of stuff. Most recently, I was leading the e-commerce line. So if you bought shoes and shirts online, you've used that product. Everybody from Adidas or Adidas, depending on where you're from, to Crocs uses it. 
And now I'm over at a company called Automation Anywhere, helping people build digital workers to automate away all the redundant stuff that we do and transform industries. So it's been a lot of fun, seeing a lot of different things. And it just, it's amazing the innovation that's happened over my career anyway. Thank you so much for that overview, Mike. And it is really cool to see all the twists and turns that your career has taken and the different choices that you've made. You mentioned starting your company. It was a company called Group Swim. And you had had a series of startup or growth company experiences before that. What was the opportunity that you saw and why did you feel like I've got to do this myself versus teaming up again with something that was already up and running? Well, this is probably not your typical reason why. Mm-hmm. So I, I was lucky. I had some great success early in my career. You know, the first two companies I, after my tenure at HP, my first two companies did really well. And it was mm-hmm. like two tornadoes, you know, one in Netscape, one at Commerce One. And it was amazing. Like you just, when you're inside that, you literally can do no wrong. You always know when you've mm-hmm. got it, when mm-hmm. you can feel the pull of the market and the industry and the customers. Like you just, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just pulling you through. And that, that's something that's intoxicating when you mm-hmm. are building products and you know, driving markets. And the next set of startups weren't pull, <laughs> they were push and they mm-hmm. weren't great. They were actually terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, they just like, it was push, push, push. And, you know, there was a lot of issues and tech and market leaders and so forth. And I took a step back and said, you know, it's time for me to do it myself. I've mm-hmm. learned a lot. I learned a lot of what good looks like. Also learned a lot what not so good looks like. And it was like, let's take that learning mm-hmm. and give it a roll. And I happened to know people who were available that fit, you know, I, my two co-founders, one was really good on the biz side and one was really good on tech and said, I think we can roll this ourselves. And, and that's what we did. So we didn't actually even have a particular idea when we started. We, yeah. we, just met, we spent a fair bit of time brainstorming <laughs> what we thought. Interesting. Yeah. So we literally just said, we're going to start our own company. We've seen good and bad. And let's roll this way. Oh my gosh, Mike, that is really interesting. One of my my mentors is Andy Ratcliffe, who is the co-founder of Benchmark Capital. And he always says the right time to start a business is when you have the insight. And the insight doesn't arrive on any particular timetable. But you all turn that on its head and just said, yeah. let's just start a company. We'll figure out what it is later. <laughs> Basically, that's what we did. We had a couple like loose ideas. We wrote like three or four down. We did some tests threw two out and stuck on this one, you know, and essentially the company we did, it was early social, pre-Facebook, pre-Instagram, pre-Yammer, but it was four companies. So we were enterprise Mm -hmm. people. And our original idea is we wanted to use AI and machine learning to mine conversations to drive Mm -hmm. insight. And Mm -hmm. partly because my co-founder is a PhD in math and AI uh, the World Institute of Sweden in Stockholm. So we had some deep expertise there. We hired four or five AIML people from that school through his connections. And we turned it towards enterprises and it was actually being used more to help sales teams collaborate mm-hmm. and sell more effectively. Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be a pretty good tool and it was a good fit for what Salesforce was looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a, it was a journey. There was a, a period of investigation and kind of introspection and 
we tried a couple different things, just really fast fire tests to see what we thought might work. And this one fit. And the reason I think it also fits for when people are thinking about what they're trying to do is, you know, it also fit our expertise. We had three mm. enterprise software people, one expert in AI and math. We had the ability to recruit engineers where others probably couldn't do it. And so we had a couple of unique advantages there. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you said when we were prepping for this conversation, which I really loved, you said you have to make your opportunity no matter what role you're in. And yeah. I'm just thinking about you all making your opportunity at Group Swim. Then you get acquired by Salesforce and you go from you know running your own shop to being part of a much larger company. And yet you still have to succeed. And you ended up staying at Salesforce for quite a while, 11 years, as you said. Will you talk to us about that mentality, the sort of bloom where planted mentality and how that shows up in people that you work with and in yourself? Yeah, here's how I look at it. I've been involved with a number of transactions over my career, both on I've been acquired and I've acquired multiple companies. Mm -hmm. And there's a big delta between what drives success in an acquired company and what does not. But it almost, it comes down to almost one thing. And that's the Mm -hmm. leaders and how they feel when they've been acquired. Mm -hmm. And do they have a path? And this is what I would encourage everybody to think about. The first check is, do your values align? Like, what's the values of the company being acquired? What's the value of the company that you're going to? You know, and if those align, that's the first big check mark in success. The second is going to be, is there a structure in place where you have a path to drive a vision that hopefully you've aligned on? So kind of full circle to your question. But when you get acquired, you have been acquired for a reason. And there is mm-hmm. some gap in the other company that they need. They might see something, particularly in IP. Maybe you have a product that they can accelerate, or maybe they just there's some interesting product pieces they want to plug into their product. And you have to be on board with that journey and realize that your old mission is probably no longer exists, unless you're mm-hmm. being acquired to just be a completely independent division and just continue to drive. But for most part in tech companies, you're a puzzle piece that's fitting in, and you have to recognize mm-hmm. that you're on board to fill out that puzzle piece and you as a leader have to reorient your entire team to why that you're fitting in that puzzle piece is beneficial for you, your mm-hmm. old company success and obviously the new company. And if you can get on board with that, then you're going to be successful. If you can't get on board with that, you're probably in the wrong mm-hmm. place. Versus a startup when you have your own company, I like it's all on you, right? You know, every opportunity of something else you didn't do and it's great, it's super fun, but you're responsible for your to your investors, to your customers, and your employees, and you have to just change your thinking. And that's something you really have to go in with open eyes. And otherwise, mm-hmm. it will be a probably a miserable experience mm-hmm. at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a, a frustrate, let's put it this way, frustrating. Yes. Yeah. And... I'm just thinking about that day-to-day experience for you going from being a founder and an entrepreneur, and then all of a sudden you're in this corporate environment. And you actually, of all your stages of your career, you were at Salesforce the longest. Yes. 
What was it about that experience at Salesforce that kept you interested, that kept you engaged? Because you could have jumped at any point to do something else. Why did you decide to dig in there? Salesforce was going through an amazing growth curve when we joined. I think they were about a billion and two in change in revenue. And you know now I think the company's north of 20 billion. And you just don't get an opportunity in your career that often where you are shipping platforms mm. at global scale. So mm-hmm. we did this at Netscape. You know, when you deploy something, you're touching millions mm-hmm. and maybe even beyond. So you just have this global footprint where you can impact change. Yeah. The second is the values of Salesforce lined up well with mine. It was about you know mm-hmm. customer trust and delivery. It was about growth. It was about innovation. It was about employees. And those values really aligned with my personal values, which, you know, mm-hmm. provided a platform for me to to grow. Mm-hmm. So you had a combination of global scale, shipping enterprise platforms, you know, touching customers everywhere and seeing the impact you were having. And then because of the growth, growth helps a lot new opportunities emerge. You know, we went from one product mm-hmm. to another product. The last product I was running was a company called Demandware. We acquired them, I think, in 2016. They were a public company. It was one of our largest acquisitions at the time. I think it was the largest. And it was a global e-commerce. It was super fun. We were doing, I think, when we acquired them, about $26 billion in GMV. GMV mm-hmm. is just think of it as gross merchandising values, the amount of revenue that goes through the collective stores. So if a store records a million dollars in sales, they count that towards GMV. When mm-hmm. I left, it was probably, you know, I worked on it about three years, about $55 billion in GMV, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more. And that's fun, right? Mm-hmm. You get to build products and you can literally see the impact and at mm-hmm. a global scale. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But those are the things so, that you need to look for. So that's your advice for people out there yes. kind of you know, in the earlier mid stages of building their careers. Salesforce also is an amazing training ground, their process for how they ship and build product, how they run a company is very impressive mm-hmm. and a very well run company. So, you know, like back in the early days, you would probably look to Microsoft or Oracle for that expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, but Salesforce took it to a new level and, mm-hmm. but it was all cloud, right? So how do you run a cloud business at scale? In fact, they have mm-hmm. classes that they teach their employees about how to run a cloud business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting, the diaspora from some of these huge brands. You talked about the early part of your career at Hewlett Packard, which, of course, is you know one of the iconic brands from which many, many top executives have sprung. But from Salesforce, we've already talked about Dan Streetman, who's now the CEO of Tibco. George Matthew is coming also onto the Breakline Arena podcast. He's also a Salesforce alum and now a venture capitalist. And it's just interesting to see the ripple effects from one company and how they extend throughout the sector. Yeah. And typically when you see the changes go through, all companies go through the life cycle. When their executives start to leave, many, many of their team follow them. And mm-hmm. now I, I can probably name a half dozen companies from Solonis to and on and on that have Salesforce leaders and leadership. Mm. And it's a great network to have because it's great to bounce ideas off of people and get feedback. 
But, you know, I think we're just the beginning to show the impact of the, the leadership that Help build Salesforce is now leading dozens of companies across the yeah. world. Yeah, amazing. And so you had this sort of twelve-year experience at Salesforce, and then this company, Automation Anywhere, crosses your path. And will you talk to us about Automation Anywhere, the goals that you all have, the vision that you have for the company, and what it was about this particular opportunity that you found so compelling? I was familiar with the automation space because one of the products that I also built and ran at Salesforce was something called Lightning Flow. I, I still remember when I feel like I was the in, just in the wrong meeting and I'm like, they looked around like, hey, we need somebody to you know take this project on. I'm like, I just happened to walk in at the wrong time. So I don't know anything about you know flow products and automation, but it turns out this was around 2016. It was incredibly interesting. It was how you use, you know, technology and AI to basically automate kind of mundane processes. And it didn't really click for me until I never forget this. I went out to a company called New York Life and I met with their CIO and one of my coworkers was friends with the CIO. He said, we got to talk to them about automation. And he was talking to me about handling claims processing and how hard and manual it was and how difficult it was. And even the small amount of automation, like, like, you know, steps that you could take out of a manual process where, if, you know, if you have, always think about it, if you have to file a claim online, you know, click giant forms and submit this and two days go by and then maybe somebody gets back to you. And if you can eliminate steps there, the customer experience is superior and the savings mm -hmm. on the, on your company is just ginormous. It's just game changing. Mm -hmm. So we built this product called Lightning Flow. It was built, you know, th there was other products there, but we took it to another level. And it became a platform in itself. It started, it was embedded in all the other Salesforce products and just having profound impact. Mm -hmm. I had moved on the commerce, Automation Anywhere had come through and the RPA stands, stands I didn't even know what it meant back in like 2017. I'm like, what is RPA? Robotics, we don't do robots, but robotic process automation, which is basically think of it as software that builds bots that does manual mm -hmm. things. And Salesforce invested. My team was part of the diligence. I became aware of it, kind of kept an eye on the space. It really started to blow up in the last, you know, particularly with COVID. Think about all these things that, you know, used to be you had to go in the office to do, but HR or IT or finance and suddenly everybody's working at home, suddenly the need for automation just exploded. And that was just things that you and I talk about, but then there's processes that can change, you know, where entire industries can be turned on their ear through automation. So it came along, I was finishing up at Salesforce, taking some time off and they reached out and said, Hey, would you be interested? And I'll, I'll kind of go through my logic on joining. Yeah. I obviously was a big fan of automation. Mm -hmm. I saw the impact in the industry, the fact that you could use particularly AI and you know software to just remove entire steps or just change entire way companies operate. Like this is mm -hmm. big. It's a platform. So remember when I talked about having platforms that change industries. So it was a platform opportunity. It's about a 30 billion market TAM, and it's one of the fastest growing, I think it is the fastest growing enterprise software market right now at about 18% year over year. So when you look at those three, you're now sitting with a platform that was built for the cloud, so modern, 
that is literally transforming entire industries because they're, you know, particularly in fintech or not fintech, but just say in banking and insurance, they're reorienting their entire process around automation and digital workers. So Mm -hmm. it's just the chance again to have global impact, change industries and build a platform. And it's doing something that, frankly, the industry doesn't have available today. So it's not like, oh, I built a better analytics tool. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. or a better website builder. Those are always valuable and super cool. But this is a category that really didn't exist at scale. Hmm. So it's a big opportunity, but a chance to do some really cool things. And what does success look like for you all? You know, years from now, how will you know if you've hit it? Well, I have a couple measures for me, and I think this mm. is going to vary for everyone. I view success in building a company that's durable and is providing massive value to my customers and the team and obviously to our investors. That's like my number one criteria. The mm. second one is, are we building a platform? And the definition of a platform is interesting, but you know you got it is when people come to you and show you what they've built on your platform. And you're like, man, mm. I didn't even know we could do that. That's when you know you got it is, is you've built a platform that other companies and entrepreneurs and just, you know, inventors are creating net new things off of it that you didn't even dream of. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when you just know. And those are the things that I look for. And, you know, I've had the fortune to be able to do that a few times. And this is another opportunity. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mike. And as you were talking about that transition from Salesforce to Automation Anywhere, you mentioned you were sort of wrapping up at Salesforce, taking some time off. Our listeners can't see this, but you have a mountain bike behind you and another one. You have one kind of propped up and another one on the floor. What were you doing in that time off? Did it involve biking? How were (laughs) you sort of resetting? Well, you can probably tell from the bikes. I'm a huge cyclist. Pretty much anything outdoors, cycling, running, backcountry skiing, and snowboarding. So I basically was like overindulging on those activities. Uh (laughs) Tons and tons of riding. It's just actually why I know Dan. While Dan and I worked together at Salesforce, I didn't know him that well at Salesforce until we did a bike race and we just happened to both be there. Hmm. And that's mm-hmm. when I kind of actually met met him and then we got to know each other better. But yeah, biking and athletics, a big important aspect for me. And it actually was one of the drivers for me to start my own company. I think in hmm. 2005, besides that, I was like, well, I think we can do this better. <laughs> I had been car commuting pretty much my entire career. And I just, in 2005, I'm like, I'm done. I'm never getting in the car again to go to work. And so I lived in San Francisco, and that was one of my top criteria is I would be riding my bike to work. In the last, well, since 2005, I've never, I think I've driven to work maybe less than 10 times. Wow. And so now I live in Marin, so I would ride my bike to San Francisco. Wait, Mike, how many miles is that? It's about 18 miles from my house. Probably one of the best rides in the world. You get to go over the Golden Gate wow. Bridge through the headlands. And then you can take the ferry home or you can flip it around, take the ferry in and ride. Or if you really feel ambitious that day, you just ride both ways. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a whole community of people who do it. It's pretty fun. And your LinkedIn profile, if folks go and check you out on LinkedIn, there's a banner behind you. Is that Tahoe? You're clearly in the mountains. There's snow. Yeah. It's beautiful. That picture I took, it's in Tahoe. It's very close to my house. It's on the west shore of Tahoe. Mm-hmm. It looks out over the lake towards Emerald Bay and Desolation Wilderness. It happened to be one of those beautiful days where the mm-hmm. you got a, maybe you know 10 inches of snow or something. So I do spend mm-hmm. a lot of time in Tahoe. I think one of the side effects here is I always believed that you'd be able to work anywhere. And I think we're getting to that point. I know where mm-hmm. you're sitting is a pretty awesome place. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I split my time you know, as much as possible in Tahoe where I can pursue some of these other activities. And I'm, this is important part of my career is balance. You know, obviously balancing yeah. your family life, your work life. But for me, without being able to at least exercise almost pretty much daily, I don't think we could run at the speed that we're running on the work life. Mm. It's too much. You need that release. You need that clarity. Your body needs it because it just needs that kind of step away. Mm-hmm. And you know, having run a couple of global businesses, Automation Anywhere being one, you need to plan it. I'm pretty mm-hmm. careful planning my schedule that I leave time for these things. And when I travel, I also plan it into the travel schedule. Like a lot of times like mm. hotels, I pick to be very close to places I can go and exercise. Mm. So it's pretty, pretty carefully calculated out. Yeah. Mike, you're clearly really committed to it and deliberate about it. And in another conversation, you said some of your best ideas come from when you're when you're on one of your rides or some of your other athletic pursuits. And yet the investment in ourselves can sometimes be the first thing that goes when we get busy. Yeah. But you found a way to make sure that you prioritize it. You yeah. Know, not like, only prioritize did, it, but I, I typically won't even bring my phone with me or if I do, mm-hmm. it's like completely stashed away. You have to. You just have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe cycling's not your thing or running's not your thing, but you know, whatever it is, you need to give your your mind the chance to absorb what you've been picking through the last whatever set of hundreds of meetings you probably just had. Mm-hmm. And often that idea will just hit you in one of those pieces because you gave your mind some time to kind of wander and process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've had a lot of my best product ideas and just whatever ideas from that, from doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It reminds me, we interviewed Sami Inkinen, who was the founder of Trulia, which was acquired by Zillow. And now he, he founded a new company called Verta Health, but he and his wife, Mike, rode across the Pacific from San Francisco to Hawaii, self-powered rowboat, Mike, with like shark circling stuff. I mean, he's just, Crazy. Uh, so he he was also like similar narrative around just athletics and the intersection of athletics, your professional life and well-being. But the other element that he said was sleep. He's like, no concessions whatsoever on my sleep. Yeah. I won't say I do as quite as well on the sleep. Mm. I'm a pretty consistent six and a half hour a nighter. Mm. Always can more. I have the rare ability to be able to sleep anywhere, anytime. So yeah, pretty, pretty crush it. I can crush it on a plane, Yeah, but sleep is also is a key element. If I'm under six, it gets 
it can get be a grumpy day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we all know the that aspect of it, but a minimum for me is six, but the more the merrier. And I definitely agree 100%. It just clears out. I also get a lot of good ideas sleeping, so. Wait, what do you mean? Like it, you're, you'll dream something and remember, or you yeah, just wake I mean, up with it, an idea? It's a, I'm sure other people do it, but I often will like, I'll just, when I go to bed, I'll think I got to figure out this one thing, right? Whatever it is, like a new feature, or fundraising, whatever it is, or just I'll lay down on it or market, particularly marketing messaging. And I'll just kind of think about it before I go to bed. And often, you know, the next day when I wake up and I'm like off for a run or, you know, on a bike ride, it pops back. Like, oh, uh-huh. why didn't I do it that way? So I've often find just putting it in your brain when you go to sleep, mm. when you wake up, I can, a lot of times I'll be churning on it immediately. I'm like, mm. how do you think of that way? Or what about this? Or maybe mm-hmm. I should call so-and-so and get their feet. And so, you know, I think planting those seeds and letting them mm-hmm. kind of germinate for a while. And then when you wake mm-hmm. up, you know, get your body moving. A lot of times some mm-hmm. good stuff pops out. Wait, Mike, I don't know if that'll work for me. I, I'm thinking about like the stress dream phenomenon. <laughs> like, yeah. Just like building the financial I, model that won't, you know, that's not yeah, adding up I, or whatever. Well, it's one of the things for me. I don't know. I just, I, I, I do find it works. It's kind of funny as long as you're not stressing out about it. But yeah. For some of the bigger things, particularly for, I, when we did at big conferences and you're working on your keynote presentation and you're like, I just can't mm. get this piece right. Like how, yeah. how should I try it? Like maybe there's a different mm-hmm. idea. There's a different angle to it. Those are the type of where you really have to be creative. And you and I, you and I talked a little bit about being creative, but mm-hmm. you need to kind of like sometimes step outside the box a few times. Yes. And yes. that's where the big ones come from. Well, you know, you were just talking about, giving talks, giving speeches, and an element of that is storytelling. And you've said to me several times already as we were preparing for this conversation that it drives you crazy when entrepreneurs in particular cannot tell their story in a way that's relevant and compelling. And you just think that this is such a crucial element to building a business, to being a leader. Will you talk to us a little bit more about that perspective and why it's so why it's so key in your view? Be a storyteller. Who wants to hear or be in an elevator and like, hey, you know, you just you have that one chance to tell like thirty seconds. You're in an elevator, Mark Benioff. You want to say he asks you what your company do, you know, and you want to bolt out like AI and digital robots you want to tell a story of changing the world and why it's related he'll remember that ai and you know a bunch of gobbledygook technology everybody does that so telling stories is a way for people to relate i'm pretty simple in a lot of ways if i don't understand it typically it's because uh it was a bunch of jargon or just wasn't that interesting but a story makes it relatable it connects with people and it connects with your buyer. Maybe it's your, the person you're buying to. It connects with your team, connects with your investors. Work on your story. Build that story. Make it interesting. Try it out on different people. Iterate on it. Go to sleep thinking about it. Wake up the next day and try it out again. There's a story behind why you started your company or built your idea. Tell the world your story. It'll go much better. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many companies I've advised. 
and I'll try, like, you have to tell your story. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't tell your story, you're just one of everybody else. Right. And in the way that you're framing this, it's almost like these folks that you have in your mind are stopping at the data or stopping at the, you know, the trendy word or phrase. My friend, Professor Jennifer Ocker, she's a marketing, marketing professor at Stanford, and she's a storytelling expert. She's advised lots and lots of world-leading companies. And she says, it's the data plus the anecdote. You know, That's the right. data provides the credibility, but it's the anecdote that hits people where they can feel it. And that's what they remember. That's awesome. One of the best experiences I had to hone storytelling is the Salesforce Dreamforce, where every product leader, you get essentially your time to stand on stage for 45, 50 minutes and tell the story. And the audience every year got bigger and bigger. The room could hold you know thousands of people and they were starting to broadcast them and you spent an enormous amount of time, but it was a story. And the best stories intersected something that the audience could relate to with the impact or the data. Mm-hmm. I did one with a company called Party City, which you know I think most of your listeners may have seen them at least, where you go to get party supplies, particularly helium balloons. Their mm-hmm. target market is, I think, families with kids from 5 to 12. And the story we told was about how most of their customers would, particularly moms, would shop through Instagram and they would look for ideas for parties for their kids, birthday parties, whatnot. And then they would try and take that picture they saw on Instagram and translate it into buying all the stuff for that party. So the tech part is we'll use AI to decompose the pictures and identify the streamers, the balloons, the party favors. But the data is the impact it has on their bottom line. Getting a shopper in a store just to pick up the parts or the party stuff increases the share of wallet by you know another 12%. Mm-hmm. So this whole trick, right? Not trick, but story. It was about how moms are shopping on Instagram, couldn't figure out what to buy by helping them on that journey and getting to the store. We could increase that purchase by 12%. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. But mm-hmm. I could have just said, hey, we did a checkout and we asked them to pick it up in the store and it got 12%. But there's a whole story. Right, exactly. That. Yeah. There's, and you know, the element of being audience focused and really having deep empathy for who's who's in front of you rather than what you want to say, what is it that they are really looking or needing to hear and shaping your your narrative that way? Nailed it. Be the audience. Test it out. And so, Mike, you're now, in addition to your day job as a COO, you are also advising lots and lots of companies at this point. And so storytelling is one of your top pieces of advice for the entrepreneurs that you coach. But what else are you enjoying about that experience now? You know, you've been building companies for so long, and now you're in this advisor role, which is really different, but must be fulfilling as well. It's fun. The thing about advising, I've had been fortunate, I probably thousands and thousands of meetings, customers, teams, product reviews, thousands on a global scale. And so I've, there's not that many situations you haven't seen because they kind of repeat, you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we'll put that into the customer trust problem. This is the product doesn't work problem. 
this is mm-hmm. the growth problem. This is who's my customer problem. And been through it a lot. I can't say I always have the answers. So it's pretty clear when you meet with uh, most of the companies, uh, it's pretty like, okay, what's our challenge? Is it go to market? Is it product? Is it investment? Is it you know customer scale? And mm-hmm. I can share my experiences and things I screwed up because I've screwed up tons of stuff and you know how to learn from those so they don't have to repeat that process. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot of fun. I mean, probably sometimes you have to repeat that conversation like with your kids 20 times, but it is fun to see them be able to look through the lens of what you've done and say, well, okay, mm-hmm. does that apply or not? How can we use this to maybe avoid that pitfall or go a little bit faster? That's why I do it. And I'll sometimes profess professional curiosity. Most of the companies I advise are in the e-commerce space. And so having a lot of background there, it's fun to help push kind of the next wave of innovation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you started this conversation by saying you've been in tech now for many decades you've seen the sort of life cycle of companies from very, very early stages, you know, three people in a garage with group swim all the way up to Salesforce. And you're also advising. So you've just had this incredible breadth of experience. And as you look back on your career up until this point, what do you wish you knew earlier that you know now? You know, as you're thinking about advising those entrepreneurs that the hard fought, the hardest fought insights, you know, maybe the most painful or profound lessons. What do you wish that you had known earlier? Well, a few years ago, maybe six years ago now, we did a deal with a company in Germany, Coca-Cola Germany. So we all heard about Coca-Cola. I went, turns out Coke is really a whole series of companies. And I met Ulrich the CEO, uh, happened to do some meetings with him. And then eventually he joined Salesforce. But in that period, mm-hmm. he did a kind of promotion for Salesforce. And he had this quote. He's like, the answer is not inside your company. The answer is outside your company with your customers mm-hmm. and partners. The number one piece of advice is talk to your customers, mm-hmm. particularly product people. You have a theory, and sometimes the theory is correct, but when you actually sit down on the other side and put yourself in the customer's shoes and try and implement it, is it practical? Will it work? Is it really going to resolve what they need and do a game changer? Talk mm-hmm. to your customers. You'll be surprised. They will tell you so much. They will shape you. Your product will be better. Your company will be better. And that's my number one. The answer is typically not inside mm-hmm. your company. The answer is outside. Mm-hmm. I love that the just ability to continue to see outside of what you're doing, the the necessity of picking your head up and making sure that you're, you know, tracking toward that North Star. You've also thought about staying true to your values. That was a yeah. comment that you made to me earlier. And I'd love to just hear more about that from your perspective. My values when it comes to companies are customer trust. When I say customer trust, are Mm. you delivering to what your customers expect? They're paying you. They're taking a career risk by, particularly if you're a small company. So are you delivering what you promised and are your customers Mm -hmm. trusting you? And then obviously, you know, I look at growth and innovation and 
when you mix these threes, this is a formula for driving your product, your company successful. And mm -hmm. so I really think a lot about those three. And in there is your employee trust along with customer trust. So mm -hmm. those are really important, but customer trust is just number one. And, and I was at a, one company where when I, after I joined, it became clear that my values weren't matching some of the leadership values. And I just struggled with it to the point where I finally had to leave the company because I just wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable. I wasn't getting what I felt was the best work. And I wasn't producing a product that uh, I felt was delivering on, on the values of, that I held. Mm -hmm. And it was a year where I learned the biggest thing I learned is as is your team share the same values. If they don't, mm -hmm. you're going to have problems downstream. And that's again, mm -hmm. why I stay at Salesforce for so long is my values matched up with the values mm -hmm. of the company. It's just so important to keep in mind. And you and I talked about, I think it was Warren Buffett who said, establish your red line and take two steps back. And it's so important to do that before you find yourself in crisis. You know, that's yeah. the kind of thinking that you want to do when you've got some time and space and be really clear with yourself about what matters to you. I like how I said that because, yeah, you're going to, when you get into these crises, you have to kind of gut check yourself and say, all right, is this worth it? And believe me, I think of all of us, we, none of us like to give up on something, but mm -hmm. try and, you know, understand before you get in there, some of these are hard to kind of sort out, mm -hmm. but it will end up much better. And if you look at mm -hmm. the successful companies out there, I'm pretty sure you can see that they have a good value system and they're pretty good at communicating their value system. Well, Mike Mikuchi, thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. Such a treat to hear more about your journey, hear more about Automation Anywhere and the work that you all are doing together. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for the platform and all the great things you're doing and the opportunity to share. So much fun. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of the Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.